podcast within a podcast pottering around the Drupal's best blowing gum of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles of whom only one would like a cherry syrup and soda with ice and an umbrella. My name is Sarah. I am joined as always by my co-host BJ and Spencer and I will leave you all to determine which one of us might like this umbrella based drink. <laughs> I am not- curious about butterbeer and how it would relate to um, uh, oh what was that the book by it wasn't in, in the Earthsea series, but where they're on a cold planet and everybody had hot beer because that like warmed you up and made you feel good. I wonder how that similar that would be. You know, but there are warm butter beers and there are cold butter beers as well. Interesting. Yes. Um, and while they are like mostly unalcoholic, uh, we do get a scene where someone is more affected by them than regular humans are. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Um, the Left Hand of Darkness. There we go. Oh. I assumed it might, might have been a Lord of the Rings reference to Barleyman Butterbur, the proprietor mm. of the Dancing Pony. <laughs> Prancing Pony. <laughs> well, we do have some segments that we do here, and we are on... Oh, what number chapter is this? Ten. Uh, chapter ten, ten. The Marauder's Map. Um, and so we have a... Rapid fire recap. Um, we have BJ's Wizard Wheezes. We have Newbie's Notes from Spencer. Uh, we award house points. And then there are, as always, uh, questions and queries. I don't think there are going to be any questions to this chapter. You don't have to worry. <laughs> it's all um, perfectly clear, I would say. Uh, me and page three of my notes disagree. <laughs> uh, Sarah, I hate to cast any aspersions toward you, certainly including doubt, but. How rapid do you think this chapter's actually going to be? Um, I'm trying for two minutes, Spencer. Okay. Uh, for this chapter, because it is <laughs> it is a hefty boy, uh, I'm going to save our new po- our new point scoring system for next time. But for your two minute bet, the giant novelty stopwatch is ready. <laughs> Sincerely, best of luck. So Harry is depressed and has a lot of time in the hospital to think about the Grimm and the Dementors and the scene he now has of his mother's death at Voldemort's hand. At least Lupin's back in defense against the dark arts. They finally actually learn about hinky punks and Lupin draws Harry aside to talk about his broom, the Whomping Willow, and the Dementors who actually feed on all hope and good memories, leaving only the bad. And Harry badgers Lupin into, after Christmas, teaching Harry the defense against them. Things happen in Quidditch matches that put Gryffindor back in the running, and there's another Hogsmeade trip Harry can't go on. But once everyone leaves, Harry gets accosted by Fred and George, who have a bit of a present for him, a piece of parchment they claim is the secret to their success. But actually, filch from filch, it is the Marauder's Map. If you solemnly swear that you are up to no good, Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs present a map of the entire castle with everyone in it in real time. There are also a number of secret passages one Filch doesn't know about that leads straight to Hogsmeade. After only a sort of brief moral quandary, Harry takes off through the statue of the One-Eyed Witch and comes to a trapdoor in the basement of Honeydukes. He creeps up into the candy shop and sneaks up behind Hermione and Ron, who are contemplating some questionable gifts for him. Ron and Hermione are furious about the map for different reasons, much worrying by Hermione about Harry being out, Sirius Black getting in, and rule-breaking in general. Ron doesn't think it's a problem. The village is, after all, on high alert for Black, but doesn't understand why his brothers wouldn't give him the map. 
They go to the Three Broomsticks for a butterbeer. But McGonagall, Flitwick, Hagrid, and Cornelius Fudge have had the same idea, and now Harry has to hide under the table. Through their eavesdropping, they find out that Fudge is in town because of Black's attack on the castle at Halloween, and then Fudge says that the murder of 13 people isn't the worst he's done. He was once best friends with Harry's father, and is in fact Harry's godfather. And when the Potters went into hiding, they used Black as their secret keeper with a Fidelius charm. Black betrayed them and told Voldemort their location, allowing him to kill them in the night. Hagrid has a breakdown at this point in the conversation, racked with guilt for his interactions with Black in the aftermath. Another friend from Hogwarts, Peter Pettigrew, was the one who found Black after Voldemort killed the Potters and tried to confront him. That's when Black blew up the street, killing Pettigrew and 12 muggles. Black was caught and sent to Azkaban, where Fudge has seen him during his inspections. He continued to seem normal against all expectations. The professors leave. Harry is fetched from under the table. Uh, exactly two minutes and 15 seconds. I will give it to you. Well done. Thank you. I'm just glad to be done with that, quite honestly. I, I hope we have a nice, simple chapter next week. <laughs> I feel like I you would know. <laughs> well, I keep forgetting which scenes are actually in the chapters. For example, I'd completely forgotten that um, this scene in The Three Broomsticks was actually in this chapter. Ah. Um, That's a... Which was kind of important. Right, we, we get at least two major lore dumps before this chapter is done, and that's probably one too many for a chapter. Yeah, yeah, this was a, a bit of a mashup of things that should have perhaps more easily been put into two different chapters. Perhaps. You know, Nevertheless. I was, I was half wondering at some point in between the ministers, uh, about eight page going into a Harry, a Harry and Sirius Black's background, if one of the professors didn't, just was waiting to interrupt and say, you know, we came here to drink, right? That's... <laughs> Why we're here? Are we talking about something else? I mean, obviously, we need to do a major expose within earshot of the main character. So clearly, this needs to continue. My, my syrup and cherry water only lasts so long. <laughs> your your umbrella is slipping, Spencer. Hagrid's finished. He's like four pints, like in one gulp. We need another mm-hmm. round before you keep going. Uh, yeah, McGonagall is wishing that she had ordered a large gilly water at this point. <laughs> Um, BJ, what are you wheezing about this um, week? So I'm, I'm going to put both of you to, uh, to work for me okay. Um, okay. With, with two paragraphs. Oh, and boy. I'm going to rename this chapter Harry Potter and the two semicolons per sentence. <laughs> um, the first looking? one is on the uh, second uh, Kindle page. Um, so Spencer, I'm going to ask you to do that one. Um, it is on the second paragraph, second sentence in, starting oh. the fact remained. Okay. Um, and if you would please also enumerate uh, <laughs> explicitly the commas and semicolons in this. We, we've discovered over the course of us doing this segment how bad I am at that, but I will try. <laughs> you really do just gloss over all I punctuations. <laughs> You're a weird little stream of consciousness character. <laughs> You're getting an insight in my brain you probably prefer not to have. <laughs> The fact remained, comma, however, comma, that it had now appeared twice, comma, and both appearances been followed by near-fatal accidents, semicolon, the first time, comma, he had nearly been run over by the night bus, semicolon, the second, comma, fallen 50 feet from his broomstick. That's a lot. Yeah, um, so, so this one was a preview of, of what is yet to come. <laughs> Um, Your turn, Sarah. We, we had some fun ones um, in general, but um, we have we have a really impressive one 
that that is quite a bit further on in in the chapter. Okay. Um, I think it is near the end, Sarah, and uh, I'm going to apologize because it might be a little bit harder to find for you. That's okay. Um, but we're so when we're in Honey Dukes. Uh huh. Oh, in Honey And Dukes. basically, okay. we're getting the description of the the sweets. There were shelves upon shelves with the most succulent hyphen looking. Is that where we are? Uh, Yeah, uh, the most succulent dash looking Looking sweets sweets imaginable, period. period. And then the rest of this uh, very long (laughs) paragraph is a sentence. This is uh, one of my favorite sentences in this book, actually. (laughs) Dear Christ, this entire paragraph is one sentence. Here Uh, we go. Yes. And it has all sorts of punctuation, which I'm very excited to hear about. Okay. Creamy chunks of nougat, comma, shimmering pink squares of coconut ice, comma, fat, comma, honey dash colored toffees, semicolon, hundreds of different kinds of chocolate, neat rows, semicolon. There was a large bu- barrel of every flavor beans, comma, and another of fizzing whisbies, comma, the levitating sherbet balls that Ron had mentioned, semicolon. Along yet another wall were, quote, special effects, end quote, sweets, colon, Drupal's best blowing gum, open parentheses, which filled a room with bluebell hyphen colored bubbles that refused to pop for days, end parentheses, comma, the strange, comma, splintery tooth flossing string mints, comma, tiny black pepper imps, open parentheses, open quotation mark, breathe fire for your friends, exclamation point, end quotation mark, close parentheses, comma, ice mice, open parentheses, open quotation mark, hear your teeth chatter and squeak, exclamation point, end quotation mark, close parentheses, comma, peppermint cream shaped like toads, open parentheses, open quotation mark, hop realistically in the stomach, exclamation point, close quotation mark, close parentheses, comma, fragile sugar hyphen spun quills, comma, and exploding bonbons, period. Get this woman some water. I would like I feel wine, like that please. Was probably more difficult than your than your summary, and I am very very impressed. It, it, I agree with you, Sarah. It is an incredible sentence uh, in terms of what we go through there. I just um, love, I love the when we get a couple of scenes, kind of just around Hogsmeade and like different Hogsmeade visits throughout the books, and they're always just delightful for the kind of. Um, overloaded descriptive power that they have. <laughs> yes. I, I think um, J.K. Rowling is conjuring up the ghost of Tolkien um, and that that's where these sentences come in. Um, luckily, they're condensed into sentence paragraphs rather than chapters. Um, and I have one last for you. Hogsmeade looked like a Christmas card semicolon. The little thatched cottages and shops were all covered in a layer of crisp snow semicolon. There were holly wreaths on doors and strings of enchanted candles hanging in the trees, period. And that is the entire paragraph. (laughs) I would say that's a very important paragraph. (laughs) I am not disagreeing, um, but, but... we have three sentences with, mm-hmm. with two semicolons. It, it, it seems to be a, a theme that we're now getting. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to comment about is I, I do hold a special place in my heart for um, this uh, description of these weird one-legged creatures. 
Oh, um, the Professor Hinky Lupin, punks? yes, had brought okay. a glass box containing a hinky punk, which is just a great name. <laughs> I'm glad we're back into the realm of really great names for things. Um, a little one-legged creature who looked as though he was made of wisp of sm- smoke, rather frail and harmless looking. And I was trying to decide in this sentence the rather frail and harmless looking, whether it was referring to the hinky punk or Professor Lupin. <laughs> I think it was very unclear, and by the 5,000 highlights that the Kindle version had, I think other what? people had the same question. Oh, man. 5,000 people have highlighted that? Yep. It was really odd. Wow. Most of them were like famous quotations and then suddenly that. Very interesting. So, so yeah, that was just like, uh, I wonder what's going on here. And I wonder if just like once people start highlighting something, then like everybody else decides to. Um and I, I sort of hope that my highlights will then go onto somebody else and they'll be very, very confused. <laughs> it is a bit uh, like getting um, a used book from Amazon that was described as in very good condition and was actually only in sort of fair condition and has way too many <laughs> <laughs> notes in the margins made that don't make and any you know, sense. Like, and, and I just feel like it's a much worse person that does it in pen than pencil. Mm. And like, you can it doesn't always really tell matter. when a person didn't pass the class. Yeah, but like I feel like it doesn't r- really matter because once you've written in it, like no one's gonna go through and erase oh my all gosh, the pencil no. marks that you made. But I just feel like it's worse when they do it in pen. It says something about your character, I think. Yes. Which um, I totally write in books in pen, but I also never get rid of any of my books, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's justified. Um. I, so I'm having trouble with a. a uh, Deus Ex appellation to this chapter. Um, I, I, and I feel Deus like Deus Ex Christmas tree. <laughs> Deus Ex yeah, semicolon is, is a little bit disappointing. Um, but I think uh, Deus Ex drunken exposition mm. is, is about as mm-hmm. close as we can get for, for what really happens in this chapter. Did, did, he, did the minister even get a chance to drink? Pretty much the moment the drink was set down, he just begins a nonstop monologue. Um, I think Madame Rosmerta asked some uh, very timely questions in the middle of everything. <laughs> Give him an opportunity to drink. And Excellent then uh, Hagrid had his breakdown, so I think that Cornelius Fudge could finish his drink by the end of that. Makes sense. Um, so I feel like this is more appropriate for questions, but I, I feel it feel as though I might forget. Mm-hmm. Um, in the movie, mm-hmm. does this scene happen? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, does the minister come off as, um, gross? What, in terms of his flirting? Yeah. I, I just sort of imagine him, him, like, if this were a different book, he would mm-hmm. have pulled the serv- serving wench onto his lap and had this conversation, and he tries to come close in the first interaction. Well, and we also learned that Ron has a, a quite the crush on Madame Rosemurda as well. <laughs> Yes. Um, um, also, her description was... I really uh, want her shoes, but... <laughs> the shoes were an odd addition. The uh, sparkly turquoise high heels, I believe. I yes, mean... they, they were they were special. Um, you know, if uh, the, the color technology and the Wizard of Oz were slightly different. <laughs> um, but... So, to answer your questions, yes, the scene does happen in the movie... Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that it doesn't, like, there, there is just, like, my, it doesn't come off as creepy. It comes off as, like, a very mild, just sort of, like, a bumbling English, I'm talking to a serving lady 
Mm-hmm. Okay. That's kind of what I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it's written, it's yeah. It it has overtones that that are hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, and I can find it where she where uh, Rosemary is first described. Mm-hmm. It um, it's about as uh, role flipping as as I feel like you can get in terms of when male fantasy writers write really poor, write women really poorly. Mm-hmm. And sort of the converse is true now, I feel like. Um, I'll, I'll look for it and, and see if I okay. can find it. But it, it was, uh, hmm, okay. In uh, the interim, uh, newbie. Yes. Uh, I have notes. <laughs> uh, starting with, I share similar object affection that Harry apparently does. And so I do sympathize for him that he's now lost his broom. I had a tendency growing up to name various objects around me because t- I would totally do that. Uh it Can is you inst- give us I- an example, Spencer? No, no, we don't have enough time to go unpack that <laughs> aspect of my psychology. Uh, so this is going to be a featured segment on <laughs> our on brand. Mm-hmm. Just write that down, BJ. <laughs> uh, one thing I'm very amused by is now becoming a recurring trope is that uh, Gilly apparently only knows how to communicate her affection through song. Because we've now seen two separate moments of uh, this simultaneously get well card is also the uh, roaming dwarf in the prior book as well. Yes, there was a singing valentine. This appears to be the only means that she knows to tell Harry that she cares. I'll be curious to see how this continues to play out in this series if this one keeps going. Uh, Comment I forgot to mention from a prior chapter, just to credit where it's due. Cedric Diggory, in terms of basically voluntarily giving up, being willing to give up the win for the sake of fairness, given that Harry fell off the broom due due to Dementor intervention, is a real credit to him in a way that's almost unique in this series, because I don't think Oliver Wood would have even considered doing the same under the same circumstances. Oh, absolutely so, not. No. So, wanted to mention that, because that did catch me off guard as a remarkable demonstration of character in a way I don't think most of the characters in these series have been capable of so far. Uh, it was an interesting thing here. When Harry started to go into the description of there being the Grimm in the stands... I had to stare at the page for a very long time to remember that was even a thing. Just because I'm so invested in the idea that the dog is actually Sirius Black that it just to be a change-up <laughs> that Harry hasn't gotten to that point yet in his mind. That Harry apparently still th- believes this thing is, you know, a metaphorical depiction of divination rather than, no, there's just a dog here, man. You already know a painting was clawed. Let's connect the events. I continually forget and I'm caught off guard by how dark these books can be. But Harry's nightmares that he has of death and his mom and Voldemort and everything else is really damn dark. Mm-hmm. It's, again, a demonstration. These characters are going through a hell of a lot of hell without much in the way of emotional support for this. And it just, your heart goes out for him. because this, That's a really rough moment as he's alone in his room having a fitful night's sleep in the most English of understatements possible. Uh, question for later... It is always still remarkable to me that whenever Lupin shows back up, everything just immediately gets better for both me and all the characters. <laughs> Again, the chapter starts out rough. Harry's having nightmares. He's lost the big game. Everyone's just half-heartedly trying to make him feel better. Snape's just throwing out point deductions like they're going out of style. And then Lupin comes back, and then everything just immediately improves for the rest of the chapter. He has that, he has that skill. I also, he also brings out probably one of my favorite creatures we've seen so far. I agree with BJ. I really adore this little creature he brings out, partly because it just taps into the fact that among various mythological beings, will-o'-wisps are always a personal favorite of mine. 
And this one very much represents that in several different ways of the lore. There is a... We mentioned this already. There is a hell of a lot of explanation in this chapter. Like, there are two very extended monologues that happen on the subject of things that have been referenced as will, as will be explained later that are being explained now. The first of them is Lupin's remarkably detailed explanation of how Dementors work. It's a lot of detail. Mm -hmm. To the degree I'm almost wondering whether this is strictly professional or whether there's a personal degree of knowledge brought in here. Because he goes into the emotional feeling that you feel as a result of these things. It seems like he's had a pers at least several personal run-ins in some shape or form. He also highlights, and I think we've already been clear on this, but it's just doubled down, Azkaban is a very evil place. Not just because they put bad people there, because you're doing very bad things to them. If we want to start prison reform somewhere in the Western world, Azkaban might be a good place to start as an easy goddamn target. Whoa there, Spencer. Hot take. Come yeah. in. Uh, it is also interesting I have to lay out that Dementors are, apparently build power based on their numbers, because it really highlights in the last chapter just how strong Dumbledore is. We've seen Lupin previously ward off one using that silvery spell that Sarah refuses to tell me about because she's mean. Um... But oh. we, now, we also saw Dumbledore do it with respect to... Sorry, how many were there in the last chapter? A hundred, they said, or something 100, like that? A hundred, yeah. But he just casually wards away, and they leave, despite the fact they hate him, as this chapter lays out. Again, suggests just how powerful Dumbledore is in a way that I don't even think we've had fully depicted yet, other than by manifesting sleeping bags. This chapter is also one that reiterates that good friends make everything better, and again, the idea that uh, Ron and Hermione are voluntarily giving up Christmas for the sake of staying with their friend is a testament that they are very good people and very good friends, and that friendship is one of the things that makes these books as awesome as they are. Uh, on the subject of what they then go after, about where they then go next in terms of exploring the candy, while that paragraph that you read, Sarah, is utterly delightful and a wonderful depiction of the universe... If I was looking at that menu, if I arrived at the store, my default response would be, do you just have chocolate? Is that an option? Can I get something that doesn't melt my tongue? Acid tongue? For Jesus Christ. The only thing on that list, but there's a few things that I think might be least interesting. The ice mice might be an interesting thing besides the squeaking effect. I really prefer my candy not to be vaguely sentient. But the... Uh, Peppermint, uh, what, what were they? The splintery tooth flossing string mints? Candy that cleans your teeth while you enjoy it is the greatest idea ever, and it is a shame they do not exist in our world. Further demonstration that the Hogwarts universe, despite several questionable things, is still a much better place. I will tell you, I can't remember if it happened in this chapter, or if it's in a different chapter or a different book, but at one point, um, Hermione buys those for her parents because they're dentists. She does reference that in this okay. chapter. Which, yeah, if they could make it a market on introducing those to the local world, they would mm -hmm. corner it quick. Yeah. Uh, there is an expression here, BJ, I should have mentioned this on Wizard of Weezes, that I'd never heard before, but there's nothing wrong with it. I've just never heard it expressed this way. Of when uh, Fred and... I always like their names. Fred and George? Mm -hmm. The, the Weasley twins? Um, when they're giving over the Marauder map, in expressing how hard it is to give it to Harry, they say, it's a wrench, comma, giving it to you. That is a perfectly legitimate expression that I have never heard once in my life. And I'm curious whether you guys have ever heard the word wrench used as a noun. Um, only uh, in, like, British dramas like this. <laughs> I wondered if it was a Britishism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not something that I'm particularly familiar with, but, like, I picked it up fairly quickly because, like, 
wrenching your heart or whatever. Yeah, gut wrenching. I've heard it used many times as a way of modifying other words, but never as its own noun. But there's no reason not to. Uh, well, in terms of what <laughs> our wizarding wizards disagrees. In terms of what they're describing, though, the Marauder's Map is possibly the single most overpowered object they've ever found yet in this book series. It makes the invisibility cloak look like nothing at all. <laughs> and just how is this not a more widely spread thing? Is this just like a uniquely powerful, massive amount of effort has to be invested in a magical artifact so that it wouldn't be mass produced? Because everyone would want one of these. What? I would want one of these wherever I'm going at any given moment, because why not? It would be entertaining, even if it wouldn't be as practically useful as it proves for uh, Fred and George's shenanigans. But I'll mine your mind on that one later, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also very... I, I feel like I'm always defaulting to Hermione's point of view, because I'm such a sticker <laughs> about generally, so nothing's really changed there. But can we agree that she's absolutely 100% correct that... Maybe, sort of, they want to let the professors know about these hidden secret passageways. <laughs> because she really quickly deduces that, well, that's probably how Sirius Black got in. <laughs> the how one about... thing that was not mentioned in the conversation in the purple sleeping bags. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but the other side, of, I feel like the other side of that is, if Dumbledore doesn't know about it, and the professors don't know about it, that's a bit disappointing. And also the... I don't know if it's considered canon, but semi-changing nature of Hogwarts itself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. makes this, like, a weird thing, period. It, that, that may be one of the things that makes it unique to the point that the professors don't think they could exist, is that if these are indeed some kind of permanent passage that defies the changing walls, that may just not be part of their plan. Um, is, some, is that also... Well, we'll get to questions later. We'll get to questions. We have, we have questions, Sarah, as you may be. Oh, boy. <laughs> But it, it, it is absolutely a thing of where even if they would assume the professors would know about these, they should double check on this because this seems like a good read by Hermione as to what is going on. And also, in terms of Ron saying, oh, they'll punish him, they'll take it away, it'll be horrible, horrible. No, go to Dumbledore. Dumbledore won't give a shit. This is Dumbledore we're talking about. He punishes no one. He'll probably reward you for creativity and may even give you a second one because that's how he works. Uh... Madame Rosemerta, am I pronouncing that correctly? Mm-hmm. Is the most interestingly out-of-place character we've yet had in these books. Of where this is the sudden arrival of the comely tavern wench from all kinds of classic fantasy suddenly appearing in Harry Potter. In a way, other than the glowing ruby slippers, that is very... I wouldn't say it's out-of-place, it's just we've had no equivalent previously. I don't think we've had a character that's even been described in vaguely sexual terms previously yet in this series. And here you go. A curvy sort of woman with a pretty face was serving a bunch of rowdy warlocks up at the bar. Mm-hmm. And we have at least two characters who then proceed to either express attraction to her or directly flirt with her over the course of her chapter. Which, again, we've never really had happen before other than drunk Hagrid kissing McGonagall, which, BJ, you've made volumes out of that, so I can only imagine the <laughs> fan fiction you're not going to create between Fudge and her. Uh, well, Fudge is super creepy about it, um, and... There's absolutely no fanfiction that I want to deal with in that regard. <laughs> I don't um, assume you're kinks, BJ. The, the only fanfiction that, that I'm going to decide is canon for me from now on is Hagrid is goes after everything. <laughs> He's probably made a couple of passes at Dumbledore, and I don't think that Dumbledore would have turned him down. <laughs> we ignore the mechanics of that. Uh, <laughs> but we do. What? To your, <laughs> to yes, your point, Spencer... <laughs> 
though, because I'm ignoring the mechanics of that as well. Um, it is. This is a weird introduction to like the town gown divide. Yeah, that, that is true. We've not really had. We've not really seen how the common people live, or the people that are you know in the various trade industries. We had focused very much on this kind of university setting. Yeah, we've only really seen like Stan Shunpike. Um, the Diagon Alley shopkeepers and and stuff yeah. like that, and even them. But what's probably even creepier is uh, Fudge probably knew her like as a younger student. I, I agree that he's you know older than her. He probably knew her in that capacity. Uh, it, she is older. She's older than she lets on, given what people she describes as knowing them when they were little kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she she's does... certainly older than Harry's parents would have been. Right, because uh, she talks about. Um, James and um, J- James is Harry's dad, right? James Potter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And Sirius Black when they were like first at Hogwarts when they first arrived, mm-hmm. which is presumably what 25, 30 years ago or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, so she's at least in her forties. Mm-hmm. Probably upper forties too, in her fifties. Yeah. Good on her. <laughs> Let's see here. The drink orders of the professors are delightful in terms of what they reveal about them. Uh, as we've said previously, McGonagall with her small gilly water, Hagrid with his just, I think it's four pints of mead that's just brought on its own tray. Uh, Flitwick with his cherry syrup and soda with ice and an umbrella. Uh, Sarah, I'm presuming you're suggesting that is your drink. Kudos. <laughs> and the red currant rum for Fudge. Uh, the, it I appreciate when an author has an understanding of her characters, and this drink orders was a well-done way of expressing that. I also imagine that Gilly Water is essentially going to be, like, the whiskey neat of the wizarding world. I think it's just gin. Okay. (laughs) Like, this is a... And so that was my drink order of choice from this list, Spencer. I don't know. (laughs) Given the drinks you make for our various podcasts, this fits some things you've described and made for us before. Uh, I, I think that there is a person on this podcast that is most likely to order a virgin cocktail, um, and they might be in Hufflepuff. Uh, you, you would be absolutely 100% fucking wrong. <laughs> I hate fruity syrupy drinks. Well, you do like milkshakes, though, and those all fit into the same category <laughs> for me. I can't dispute this. This is true. You have found an in run around my argument. I'm sad. Uh... It's, we can have it lab, uh, leveled out in this chapter that at least Dumbledore and Fudge regularly communicate with Dementors in a way that just seems odd compared to what we've previously seen of them. It strongly suggests that a person at least in a position of either magical or authoritative power gets a different reaction from the Dementors than everybody else does. I'm curious to see if we ever actually get to see that in person. Uh, we, get a, we get our second lore dump here, and it's... A hell of a series of twists that I didn't really expect. We've been teasing it out before that there was some personal connection between the Sirius and the and the Harry Potter. Wasn't really expecting that he would be, you know, the best friends of his dad and Harry's godfather. That was a surprise. Mm-hmm. That is an interesting family connection. That adds a hell of a lot of drama for what's playing out now. And I'm sure whenever the confrontation ultimately goes down, that's going to be an interesting degree of tension and probably some kind of evil manifesto moment, which I love the, you know, evil speech before they try to kill you section. <laughs> we'll see what ha- we'll see how that plays out. We've gotten it in the last two books. I'm looking forward to what the version will be this time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not expecting a uh, switcheroo? I'm fully expecting any variety of switcheroos. I'm also hoping for an evil speech by somebody. I, there are things I enjoy in these books and the evil <laughs> speeches are one of them. Uh... 
I'm getting to an explanation there. Uh, I, I'll just ask this one now because I don't actually want an answer, but it strikes me as odd, given what we now know about Sirius's obsession with Harry Potter, that he wouldn't just kill the baby when Hagrid's holding him. I mean, Hagrid immediately says that he gave me the motorcycle because he was planning on running and wanted to be as, you know, as uh, hidden as possible, as least obvious as possible. If he wants to do that and wants Harry Potter dead, why doesn't he just use the same blow-up-the-street spell on Hagrid and the baby right then and there? It eliminates a witness that saw him and kills Harry Potter. This strikes me as odd. It may, it may suggest that uh, Sirius was later put into a corner and was driven to the end of his rope, which is kind of what Fudge goes into here, or it's just there's more going on here. I'm kind of defaulting to a more going on here just because it would be more interesting, but we'll see. In terms of what the result of uh, Sirius Black's magic is, again, a really grisly scene in terms of describing what happened to that street, really depicting it as the war zone that was the Wizarding War. And the, the more we really learn about it, we really see how much it is meant to be a stand-in for like a World War One, World War Two kind of thing in terms mm -hmm. of the British cultural mentality. This is a past trauma in a way that everyone is still dealing with that lived through it. And that's well done. It is a, a surprising bit of horror we get in the middle of the chapter in terms of describing that from Fudge's point of view. Another thing I fully expect not to be explained to me, so I'll go into it now, it's also interesting to have Sirius Black's seemingly immunity to the Dementors heavily highlighted. Uh, don't know whether that's some reworking of the spell we've already seen, or some unique trait of him, Maybe if you're already a certain degree mad, they can't affect you. To, they can't really affect you as much. Don't know. Maybe it's purely think happy thoughts. Also, don't know. Probably figured that doesn't work on them. <laughs> There's no place like home, Spencer. Uh, if um, we already discussed ruby slippers, maybe we're working off that logic. <laughs> so I guess the other thing that I wanted to sort of throw in there, the the speech by Fudge really kind of struck me as a less of a uh, describing horrors and more of a I'm a powerful government, I'm in a powerful government position, and I know of horrors that you can only dream of, um, doesn't that make me more interesting in your eyes, rather than like... It definitely starts there. I don't know if it ends there. I think he almost let his story go farther than he wanted to. I think, I very much agree. He starts this as, let me impress the Comely Tavern wench, uh, so she'll, you know, continue to sit here with me and share a drink. But by the end of it, everyone's really gotten involved in the story, and they all just kind of want to leave. I think he just kind of let it run away from him. Yeah, I think I mean, Hagrid's uh, um, contributions to the conversation really changed the tone of everything. Yeah. yeah. Everyone starts to realize that, oh, shit, we all kind of have a personal stake in this. This isn't mm -hmm. just a funny story. This is a very painful moment we all shared in unique ways. And I also imagine that if it was as gruesome as fudge sort of seems to let on mm -hmm. hagrid would have told everybody <laughs> was hagrid there though i mean seemingly hagrid wasn't in the street no yeah seemingly at the okay because the... like i guess i imagined that he showed up no. to the aftermath mm -hmm. i imagine that happening at pretty much the exact moment he was doing the baby handoff because those events seemed to be occurring at roughly the same time before he had that moment with sirius black he got the motorcycle he transported the baby away and then Sirius Black got chased down by this Peter Pettigrew? Pettigrew. Yeah, it mm -hmm. would have been the next day. Mm -hmm. um, okay. But there was no, Hagrid did not show up. There wouldn't have, would have been no reason for him to be there. Mm -hmm. um, it was just ministry wizards who showed up afterwards, more or less. The men in black cleanup. Yep. 
it, that was that was interesting too to have it set up that it was this Peter Pettigrew that intervened to cause that moment. Previously, I thought it was about it was uh, some official operation by the Ministry of Magic that went wrong. But no, this is them just showing up in the aftermath of a scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, like when Conrad shows up in the aftermath of of a scene in Mass Effect, like you know that he has the side of right on his behind him. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, before we get into our, uh, as hinted at, innum- innumerable questions, uh, Sarah, do you have any suggestions for who won this chapter, and lost for that matter? Yeah, this is an interesting chapter um, in terms of doing winners and losers of house points. I am going to, and I'm, I'm more than willing to take input on this chapter <laughs> Sure. in ways that I don't necessarily in other chapters. Um, I would say that this was a particularly good chapter for the Weasley twins. Fair point. Wouldn't have thought of them, but that's a good point. I think they got to do a thing that made them really happy. Um, While at the same time showing off their sort of um, mischievous acumen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And they got to do something nice. And they got to kind of... (laughs) inadvertently lorded over on Ron as well. So, like, everything was going well for them. <laughs> yeah, that's the ultimate prank there. I feel like this is a Weasley yin-yang chapter. Okay. You think Ron Because Ron, he lost 50 house points. He didn't get the Marauder's Map. Um, yeah. He apparently had his tongue melted at some point in the recent past. <laughs> Which, God, why is that a thing? Yeah. Uh, have you ever had a warhead? I've had warheads. I actually enjoy sour things. I prefer them not to cause permanent tongue damage. Fair Ron enough. seems fine now. <laughs> Do we know that? There's a lot wrong with Ron that we now have options for. <laughs> That's true, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, Ron Ron had a not great chapter. I feel like no one else had a bad chapter. Harry had ups and downs. Yeah, I. but I feel like the ups and downs kind of washed out by the end of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he ended up in a great place, um, but it seems more, sh- at least at this point, it seems more shock than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I mean, Hagrid didn't have a great time at the bar. No, yeah, Hagrid, <laughs> Hagrid had a rough day. He only got one round of drinks. That's rough. Would you say that he was haggard and harried after that? Um so, we do have to note that while Harry did have some pluses, he had some minuses, and Hedwig was also not in this chapter. That is so. that is true. <laughs> yes. Is there a rule that he can't keep Hedwig in his room? Uh, I don't know if it's really a rule, but they just stay in the owlery. Okay. Custom Although it's a, a little weird, because other pets do stay in the room. Yeah. Which is, that's kind of a weird division. It's kind of like uh, Disney and Dogs. Are they are they human or are they or are they people or are they dogs? <laughs> right. You yeah. will know based on whether they're wearing pants. Um, I mean, but Spencer, if you've ever taken care of birds, there are probably reasons why some pets are allowed to stay in the dorms <laughs> and some pets aren't. Oh, I don't. Enjoy, I've taken care of birds. I do not enjoy birds as pets. Um, uh, but I will, sure, I will very much agree with your uh, your opinion on Fred and George. I think, in particular, the idea. I think. The fact that they can now pass their mischief on to somebody else is just extra fun for them. Makes them very happy. They get to glory in their past efforts. They get to do a very nice thing. They get to complete another prank on Ron that he's going to have bear bear on him forever after. (laughs) And they get to keep their legacy going. That's a win for the Weasleys. Yeah. Um, But like you both were saying, no real, like, super big losers in this chapter. Um, hmm. Although... In the abstract, 
and it might not have happened specifically in this chapter, but we learned about it in this chapter. Filch. Oh, that he doesn't know about these hidden tunnels or anything else? He doesn't know about these tunnels. He stole the Marauder's map. Oh, yeah. The Marauder's map was stolen from under his nose. This is fair. bombs or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. So, maybe filched? Maybe filched. It's past past events, but we're just learning about them, so they count. Yes, within the chapter. Excellent. Um, All right. We put them off long (laughs) enough. (laughs) Can can I just start simple? Mm Mm-hmm. How many... Do they have the same classes every day? Uh, no. Okay. Because I was wondering how many days we can interpret Lupin missed based on apparently missing two or so classes. No, we can't. That's not a, um, that's not a reliable indicator. My impression is that they go... Um, they probably go to their classes about three times a week. Um, and sometimes... So really, they would go to four classes a day. There are two in the morning and two after lunch. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes they have a double session of a particular class where it will be sort of both the morning or the afternoon sessions. So like Mm. saying you've missed two classes doesn't really tell you a whole lot about time frame. Seems like he missed at least a couple days. uh, That Lupin went a little loony. (laughs) We just straight up saying this now. Are we okay with this now? (laughs) Admit it. No? I admit nothing, Spencer. I I will sit here stewing. You got a Uh, question, BJ, or just further mockery? I have questions. Are they real questions, or are you just putting question marks at the end of statements? (laughs) I have real questions that you will not answer, which I'm okay with. Okay, all right. So, does the Marauder map show the future? No. So, it kind of describes a path like it it tells harry how to get out of the tunnel and kind of shows him doing it before he does it Mm -hmm. it's wazing the situation though it's telling you the the action you need to accomplish to get to your destination yeah there's an algorithm that has (laughs) yeah this is the google maps predicted your (laughs) um so like is that sort of how it it's going to continue working in the future and is that how this is generally works or is that just to get him to hogsmeade um there are like a couple of places that that happens with um Mm -hmm. mostly kind of in the same way if there's something specific that needs to be done to get into a concealed place um but it doesn't work for example like um they wouldn't have passwords to other house common rooms or something like that okay uh one from me i'm assuming the the whomping Willow mm-hmm. uh, serves a purpose. <laughs> what is it? Is it but is it botanical? Is there something harvested from this tree that's of use, or is it just meant to be an odd fixture? It it wumps things, Spencer. I, I got that. I don't know what that you part want. I got. <laughs> so Spencer, if you were to want a passageway to no longer be used and have a you know some sort of cover for that, having a violent tree. <laughs> Well, and they do talk about the passageway being stopped by the Whomping Willow. Right. Like, there is a hidden passage that is, so it could it could potentially be for that purpose. That, like, it was planted over there within our a narrator's information of lifetime. Yes. I would only buy that if it was planted by someone that was trying to, if it was planted, by, planted intentionally there by not the administration. Because the administration could just collapse the tunnel. If someone wanted it there for the purpose of hiding it to use it, sure. 
But the administration, we already heard that various of these tunnels have been collapsed or are directly monitored by, you know, people in power. So have collapsed. I don't think it said it was collapsed by somebody. But you it could said, collapse it. Yes. Right. That would be I a mean, lot simpler than putting a tree over. Right. But like also imagine it as like mostly used as a possible escape route from Hogwarts, since we know that Hogwarts is one of the most dangerous places for any wizard to be <laughs> at any given moment. Um, but, but then you got the four that Filch knows about. Right, so a very dangerous place for any given wizard. <laughs> Again saying, this: if that is so, that it wasn't placed in that location intentionally by management. It was done by somebody else. Well, Perhaps. to be determined, Spencer. Indeed. Sorry, looking through. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, if you have one on hand, BJ, I'm still looking at this. I do. Else. Okay. Uh, what is protected by the Fidelis spell? This is my next question, yes. Explain the Fidelis charm and the Secret Keeper, please, Sarah. Um, so we learn more about it. Um, I'm trying to run through and figure out uh, if telling you about it is spoilery. I'm guessing it probably is. It seems like it's directly, I'm directly guessing tied it is. I, yeah. I mean, like... I essentially have a theory that, and I'm going to be in the newbies notes portion of this and just do it in the questions probably more often than, than in the <laughs> newbies notes portion, um, because Spencer, you're way better at taking notes and, and having rants. Um, I rants. Which is that this spell was associated with Harry and not his parents, and that's why it's essentially been functional up until now, and presumably Black staying alive is hilariously important in relation to Harry Potter. I can so, not comment on that at all. <laughs> uh, and so the fact that Voldemort was able to find his parents was a sort of inevitable happenstance to how the Fidelis charm was cast and was uh, designed. Well, we do learn a lot more about the Fidelius charm in this book, as one might imagine. Um, anyway, so but that's me my... confirming or denying this theory is obviously not in the purview of this. <laughs> of not 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 having spoilers. Of not um, spoiling anything. Yes. <laughs> but but for that question, and then my own kind of answer to that question, Spencer, I will turn it over to you for your next question. Um. Have we had any prior references or descriptions of Peter Pettigrew previously in this text, or is this really our first you know, meeting of this character? Um, I think I pecked a pickled pepper. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is new. This is this is a new character that we've been introduced to. Um, okay. But apparently friends with Sirius and James at Hogwarts. Yeah, that was my question. Do we, I'm presuming we're going to learn more about uh, Harry's parents as time goes on in terms of... I, um, I'm blanking on Harry's mom's name. Uh, Lily. Lily. Uh, that sh- they both went to Hogwarts, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, presu- I presume we're going to fr- find out more about their background and the very pe- various people they ran with, because it's still not, from most of the people we've seen in this cast, it's not that far in the past. I mean, several people we have met probably are peers in some shape or form. Mm-hmm. Like um, Lupin, is he a peer of, um, uh, why do I fail at remembering their names? James and Harry. Lily Potter. Um. Uh, it, did, did he overlap in a degree? He seemed, it's it's hard to guess Lupin's age. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, it's a little bit of a spoiler, um, but I think maybe in the next, within the next two chapters, we find out that they did overlap. 
Okay, because that could go into... I mean, Lupin's a very nice guy, and I can picture him do it for everybody, but he seems to have a special degree of affection for Harry. And I'll be mm-hmm. curious to see whether that ties in at all. Yeah. Um, is... Oh, God, what was his name? Spencer, do you remember the, the annoying kid in the... Colin Creevy, is it? Yeah, but in this uh, book? What? In this series? Yeah. The one with the camera? That's yeah. Colin Creevy, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there something that, that we should know in general about people that have alliterative names? Um, and, and is Colin Creevy the Peter Pettigrew of uh, this generation? <laughs> Flashing warning signs, annoying character here. And is Colin Creevy going to rejoin the uh, inevitable dark side of, of the later <laughs> Wizarding Wars? Um, I, I, I take your point on these names, um, but we do have some other just sort of reasonable people who have, um, alliterative names. For example, we have Padma and Parvati Patel. Um. That was just being racist, so. <laughs> they're perfectly but do, normal. They're perfectly normal. Yes. I, I guess they don't get enough chapter time, so. Um. At least now. <laughs> Well, Ron is particularly... Actually, Ron and Harry are both horrible to them at one point in the fourth book. Uh, but more on that later. In the fourth book. Okay. Was it was it Patel who had the rabbit? No, that was Lavender Brown. It was Lavender Brown. Okay. But I think that she's friends with... I think, I think Lavender and Patel were mentioned for being both really into divination. Mm-hmm. Yes. Spencer. Okay. I've got a list of questions that I just tapped on of things I don't expect Sarah to actually you know, ask it or more accurately just que- rants with question marks at the end of them. So I, I will spare you those. Got any more you, to do? you have been warned I, about I, the so, appending punctuation. You started early too. for that one. Why is anybody getting a drink with Cornelius Fudge? Your boss asks you out to drink, you drink. That I guess that's more of an existential question than a specific one to Harry Potter, but like... Uh, that is an excellent existential question. Um, unclear. I would say Hagrid wants a drink. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, McGonagall needs being. a drink. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Flitwick is perfectly happy with his own company and happens to be around everyone else. Yeah. And I can't imagine that Fudge is paying. I, I sort of imagine Fudge as, like... Put it on the ministry's tab. Um, maybe. But I also imagine Fudge is, like, one of the, the legislatures that legislators that goes through like nih's uh grant list and finds things that they don't like and Mm. then you know tries to force like people at a school to to go to a working lunch oh boy and and like rants and raves at them and then you know walks away before the check comes and just like why anybody would like willingly do that just is beyond me this is this is a fair unanswerable question bj um and with that and i think my theme for these questions uh, spencer if you have any others no i'm good all right well this has been fun y'all next week we have chapter 11 the mm-hmm. firebolt yeah. okay and there appears to be a broom on the cover of this one so i have a vague idea where what, what might be a subject of it uh spencer i feel like you should already know given that we've already been familiarized with this we have learned about firebolts before we have one of firebolts. I so. may have had a vague hope that they're going to learn fire magic next chapter, but no, brooms is fine. <laughs> well, there's no reason it can't be both. <laughs> <laughs> they can start throwing fireballs while they're on the broom. Oh, Quidditch. boy. Hardcore. <sighs> All right. Well, this has been fun, guys. <laughs> and with that and many other questions, yep. we look forward to next time. Till then, yeah. Bye, guys.